Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Is that Martin Luther King? Oh, that's where I heard that before, yeah. <laughs> no, it's a classic, but, uh, you know, now more than ever kind of a thing. Yeah, totally, but, yeah. you know, I always miss knowing where the opening reading is yeah. from, but you can now find out very easily. We've been going paperless, but mm -hmm. there's a QR code on the back of your hymnals where you can find the program, mm -hmm. and it'll have the where the reading's from, it'll have the hymns. Everything on there. Everything on there. And, uh, but uh, make sure when you shoot that QR code, don't hit the wrong button, or it'll beam you up. So it's just, you got to be careful. And, um, oh, nice to see you all. It's Thank you for you coming. All. It's good to have you here. Um, I don't really know what else to say. Oh, well, that's, that's fine. Um, on behalf of Debbie, I'd like to say to everybody uh, streaming out there, hello, oh, yeah. and everybody that's in right. the uh, podcast, yeah. all the people on TV, and all the ships at sea. And... Uh, well, as many of you know, we this summer have been having uh, interim music leaders. We're in a search for a new uh, band leader. And for these last two weeks, we've uh, had Michael and Green, and it's been fantastic. So good to have you guys back with us. And as always, the Sly and Robbie of the uh, old country world, uh, holding down the bottom end here. Yeah. And I'm so happy to welcome, as our special guest artist, one of my favorite local musicians of all time, Mr. Glamour's Contagious himself. Rob and Kyle is here as our guest artist. So, Oh, I know what I was supposed to mention that I forgot, giving. Yeah. Oh, that's it, giving. Um, you know, there's gift boxes in the back, you can give online, you can go to the website, and we're so grateful for everyone who gives regularly. And there's many ways to give if you'd like to. Yeah. All right. Oh. July 9th. Put it on your calendars. We're having an art and music event in conjunction with Bethlehem Church and for the neighborhood, for our communities, and um, our churches in the neighborhood. So it's going to be July 9th, 1 to 4. Am I giving the correct time? You are. You are. It's 1 to 4, and it's July 9th, and it's going to be an art and music event. It's Great. Andy's going to do a mural out there. A mosaic, a yeah. Mosaic, uh, I'm sorry, participatory yeah. art, making a great, beautiful mosaic uh, on the theme of water. There'll I be think. some music, there'll be food, and there will be tie dye, which I'm going to let Nancy talk about. <laughs> yes, I'm very excited about tie dye. I'm sorry I couldn't be here last week to tell you how excited I was. but uh, You're selling it this uh, week, though. So yes, yeah. tie dye. Um, Part of the theme of the event is water, and clothing manufacturing takes a lot of water, so I always feel bad when I happen to stain my favorite yellow shirt right here with something brown. Um, my daughter does that frequently too, and she doesn't feel as bad about it. But this was a perfect excuse for me to get out some tie-dye colors, and uh, if you have any stained shirts that you would like to tie-dye, please bring them with you on the 9th. If you have slightly stained shirts that you don't care if you get back, uh, please bring them before the 9th and put them in that box at the back of the church, and we'll have some extras on hand um, for people from the neighborhood or from Bethlehem who didn't necessarily know that they wanted to uh, tie-dye on the 9th, but would appreciate having a shirt, something cotton, natural materials, 
I think I might also bring some of my cloth napkins, which are pretty stained, and we can make those look better. But uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, I'm and looking forward to it. Does it have to be stained? <laughs> if you are lucky enough to have clothing that's not stained, you can bring that too. Okay, all right. <laughs> Just anything you want tie-dyed. Anything you want tie-dyed. That yeah. would be a good way to put it, Russell. All right. Oh, hey, right after the service, right here, 10 minutes after the service, we're going to do something we haven't done in a long time, maybe like a year, the annual meeting. It's been a while, and uh, we just, well, it's part of our laws or whatever, bylaws are called. We have to have it once a year, um, and uh, we just talk about, we report how things have gone the last year, what's going to happen in the next year, if there's any uh, big business. We do have one item that... Uh, is significant, I think. Um, we The question is being posed, shall we move our time, our meeting time, from 5 p.m. to 4.30? There's a lot of good reasons to consider it, which you could hear at the annual meeting. Um, and uh, if you're not at the annual meeting, you must abide by whatever we decide. <laughs> so, 10 minutes after church, it's gonna be 15 minutes long, right? Right. Then, I mean, it'll probably be longer than that, but, yeah, but we'll try to keep it short. And you won't have to do it again for a year. Yeah. And actually, if you can't come and you have an opinion on the time, just let us know. Yeah. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it.
God of mercy, give us a capacity for grace. Sit beside us here, breathe mercy into our faces, blow it into our lungs, so that we might stop wishing for fire to come down from heaven and consume them. Make us alive with love. Amen. May the peace of Christ be with you. Let's pass the peace. It's a long game now, do you have what it takes just to wait? It's the long game now, do you have what it takes? It's the long game now, do you have what it takes just to be? It's the long game now, do you have what it takes? To be grateful for the miracle that is this life we lead. It's the long game now. Do you have what it takes? There's a light that shines in you, and it's coming through. Despite the paperwork and pain The hesitancy and the shame There's a light That shines in me Sometimes it's hard to see But it's getting brighter Every time I choose your will over mine There's a light we're in God's time now, do you have what it takes just to wait? We're in God's time now, do you have what it takes? We're in God's time now, do you have what it takes just to be? We're in God's time now, do you have what it takes? To be grateful for the miracle that is this life we lead. We're in God's time now. Do you have what it takes? There's a light that shines in me. Sometimes it's hard to see. But it's getting brighter every time I choose your will over mine And there's a light that shines in you And it's coming through Despite the paperwork and pain The hesitancy and the shame There's a light and it has become a flame There's a light Please join me now in the prayers of community.
God of mercy, creator of love, when we're feeling furious or hopeless or hateful or afraid, we pray for some help to turn this energy into something that could help someone, our neighbors, our children, the interrelated collective, become more whole, more creative of justice. We might need some help to be creative here. We pray for your help. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray for this nation, that its civil authorities, its citizens, legislators, would not make peace with oppression, that we would use what freedom we have to move toward justice in our communities. We pray that we will not be governed by money or power, someone's need for dominance or control, but rather a desire for the common good. God, in your mercy. God, who births and labors, we pray that women might finally be treated as fully human, worthy of respect and dignity, bearers of the image of God. We pray that whatever progress the world has made toward equal rights will not be further eroded for women and black and brown people, for people who do not conform to gender stereotypes or heteronorms. We pray that a love for the beauty of diversity will flourish and not wither here where we live. God, in your mercy. God of mercy, we pray for those who are confronted physically and psychically with hard things and difficult days. We pray for moments of peace in the midst of struggle. We pray for glimpses of goodness and mercy out there somewhere or very near, even if very nearly invisible. We pray for healing, for comfort in the face of dis-ease, for confidence in love that is greater than death. For Lowell and Bob, for Aaron and her family as they grieve the death of her father. We pray that what we have to face will not overwhelm us. God, in your mercy. Bring to our minds those for whom we should pray. Listen to our fears and worries, our gratitude and longings, those that are foremost in our minds and those for which we can't find words as we pause for silence. Gather all the prayers of all the people into your arms. Amen.
Reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, 51 through 62. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and to consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord. Don't look back. My brother said it emphatically out of the right side of his mouth. Don't look back. He put his arm around my shoulder and he pulled me close beside him as we hurriedly walked down Ventura Boulevard on our way home from school. Why, I asked, starting to turn my head to look behind us. Just don't look back, he shout whispered again, pulling me closer to him and forward as he picked up the pace. 
Mike was in second grade at Dred Scott Elementary. I was, he was a year older than me. We were speed walking now. I could tell that Mike was scared and trying not to show it. Like he was trying to remain walking but move at the speed of a run. Trying to whisper so he wasn't heard, but also to yell to communicate the urgency of his instructions. But me, always being more curious than obedient, more questioning than compliant, couldn't help but try to turn my head and look back, to look behind us at whatever it was that Mike did not want me to see. I shrugged Mike's arm from around my shoulders while I kept pace, walking with Mike. I turned my head enough to see behind us, and about half a block back, I saw this girl, a tough-looking girl, a mean-looking girl, like maybe a fifth grader, and her fists were clenched at her sides with a mean look on her face, and that mean look was pointed right at us. She was leaning forward slightly as if she was fast walking herself, and she was gaining on us. I turned my head back and looked at my brother, more interested than alarmed. I think that girl is following us. She's not. No, she's not, Mike said without turning back. I turned and looked again. Looked again. She is for sure following us. Mike's eyes, my eyes met hers briefly, and when they did, she broke into a run. Now I was a little alarmed. She's not following us. I think she's chasing us. Mike hurriedly sneaked to look back and lost all restraint. Full-throated, he yelled, she's not chasing us, just run. We broke into a run. We didn't look back until we reached our house, went inside and bolted the door. We scanned the street through the slit in the curtain, but we never saw her. I don't remember if we ever saw her again, or really who she was, or why she was chasing us, I don't have any idea about what that was all about, or if we were ever actually in real danger. Fifth grade girls can be mean, but I cannot, but I can almost feel to this day my brother putting his arm around me, pulling him in against me and telling me, don't look back was urgent, ominous, don't look back. It's a common phrase, it easily lends itself to the kind of warning Mike was giving with its three percussive single-syllable words, don't look back. Satchel Page, the major league baseball player from Mobile, Alabama, famously said, don't look back, something might be gaining on you. He played in the Negro League for 20 years before he was allowed in the majors. He was the oldest rookie in baseball when he joined the Cleveland team at 47. His warning, don't look back, something might be gaining on you, clearly came from experience. But the way that he lived his life illustrates another way the phrase is used. Don't look back, a sort of an admonishment, an encouragement. Don't look back, keep your eyes straight ahead. Focus on the goal, no matter how hard it is, don't look back. Look where you're going. Keep your goal in sight. There's no way Satchel Paige would have ever made it in all those years, suffering, fighting through the racism and injustice to finally play in the major leagues without that incredible focus and strength, not looking back, but looking forward towards the goal. He knew what he wanted and he never looked back. He both reached his goals and he never got caught. Nobody caught up with him.
In the gospel reading for today, Jesus says to his disciples, don't look back in the beginning. And in the final verse of today's reading, Jesus says, no one who puts the, the hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I don't know exactly what that means. But as for the beginning of this, uh, this text, much is made of, in the history of interpretation of the first verses when it says, when the days drew near for him to, take up, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus set his face, that is, he turns toward Jerusalem. He aims for Jerusalem. And this, for a lot of interpreters of the text, they say is the key turning point in Luke's gospel. Jesus has been healing and teaching, traveling with the disciples through Galilee, but at this point in Luke's narrative, Jesus decides it's time to head for Jerusalem. Jesus knows that this is where he needs to go. Jesus has accepted his fate, knowing his destiny awaits for him in Jerusalem, which is for him his death. He knows this is what he's meant to do. So he steals himself and sets his face toward Jerusalem. He focuses like a laser beam. His eyes are on the prize. He has the eye of the tiger, the kind of unwavering resolve that's highly valued even in our culture very much today. So highly valued that I was able to just toss in cliches from George Bush Sr., the civil rights movement, and a Rocky sequel, all in one statement about it. It's the kind of resolve, steely, fiery, that makes up the kind of strong individual that builds great nations. Like when that young man, on the advice of another, goes west. He goes out there, they say, go west, and he does, because he has the resolve. He doesn't look behind him, he goes west. And that's how it was won. The importance of the directions of one's face, one's intention, is reinforced throughout this gospel reading with examples of the hard work and commitment it takes to follow Jesus' calling without turning back. It says, and as they were going along the road, the road straight to Jerusalem, no looking back, someone says to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says to him, foxes have the holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. It's going to be hard, he's saying. He says to another disciple, follow me. But that disciple said, Lord, first let me bury my father. But Jesus says to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. He's saying the place where we are going, the calling that we are pursuing is to proclaim the kingdom of God. And it's going to take sacrifice. Another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to my folks at home. And Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Like nothing can be more important. You have to keep focused. Don't turn aside. Don't turn back. Now, the first part of this sentence is something that uh, anyone who has ever plowed a row knows, that if you keep your row, to keep your row straight, you've got to keep your eyes focused on the end of the row, otherwise your rows drift. 
I'm sure you've had this experience. Um, it sways from side to side. You don't look back, you don't look to the side, you look straight ahead, or you are not fit for the kingdom of God. These are kind of strong words for Jesus, this clear, unwavering thesis in this whole text from the opening to the close, where Jesus, at the beginning, sets his face towards Jerusalem in the first verse. And he emphasizes this point in the last verse, saying, don't turn aside, keep your face to Jerusalem, unwavering, don't look back. Except after he makes this point so emphatically and strongly, there's this one small waver to his unwavering. Jesus wavers. Jesus sends these folks ahead to, to the Samaritan village that's right straight ahead. It's in their path on the road to Jerusalem to find a place for Jesus and his disciples to maybe stay for the night, get a bite to eat. But the Samaritans in the village will not receive him because he's heading to Jerusalem. His face is set toward Jerusalem. And the Samaritan Jews who barely tolerate each other. So if you're on your way to Jerusalem, they would not let you travel through their city. They certainly wouldn't give, let a Jewish teacher and his disciples enter the village and eat and rest there on the way to Jerusalem, no. James and John, being the great men of the Western tradition that I was always told they were, are not about to let these unreceiving, unbelieving, inhospitable Samaritan villagers cause them to alter their course. No, they are not gonna look aside. They have iron resolve. They are not looking back. They are not wavering. When they see that the villagers would not receive Jesus because his face was set toward Jerusalem, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them all? It's nice when your anger has that righteous quality to it, isn't it? It's nice when you know you're right, when you literally, you not only have God on your side, he's right behind you. So when you, when you reach an obstacle in front of you, when you reach somebody, you see something that keeps you from going where God has called you to go, Call down fire. Wipe it all out. But Jesus turns to the side. He turns back and says to them, what is wrong with you, basically? What is wrong with you? Do not, you, you can't, no, you cannot call fire down. We'll go around. And they went, they turned to the side, and they went off to another village. They asked Jesus for permission to call on God to rain fire down upon those villages, destroying them, clearing the path to Jerusalem, letting nothing get in their way, not turning aside, not looking back, not going around. They're going straight ahead. And they're ready to wipe out anything that gets in their way. They had the goal, this is what Jesus told them. They're gonna follow Jesus to proclaim the kingdom of God. And if anybody gets in their way, burn them up. Bring down the fire from heaven. Yeah. But Jesus does not give them permission. Jesus rebukes them. Jesus does not seem to want to leave a path of fiery destruction behind him on the road to his destiny. Instead, 
Jesus turns his head, turns to the side. Right in the middle of this section of scripture that is emphasizing how you should set your face to your goal and not turn back, you're not worthy of the kingdom of heaven. Right in the middle of that, Jesus turns to the side. Jesus is not fit for the kingdom of God. No one who sets his, puts his hand on the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Why does Jesus do this in the middle of this rant about not turning aside? Why does he turn aside? It seems like there is something either about the kingdom of God that maybe is a little different than we thought at first, or something about the way you confront the clear and present evil in your path that maybe isn't the way we're taught. Because if Jesus is not worthy of the kingdom of heaven, obviously we are not all worthy of the kingdom of heaven. No one is worthy of the kingdom of heaven, which is good because it's not that kind of a place. You don't get in by being worthy. Or maybe you don't get in at all. Maybe it's just right here all around you. Maybe it's the way you live. Maybe it's the way you confront those evildoers in front of you. Maybe it's okay to go around them. Maybe there's something about the kingdom that is more about mercy, maybe even acquiescence or love than it is about fire from heaven, even when you have God on your side.
been listening to the House of Mercy podcast. You can experience all this live every Sunday at 5. Check houseofmercy.org for all the details. House of Mercy is a church in St. Paul. You should come. It's not that bad. We'll